And so now whenever I preach, I think I'm always looking for, um, you know, like you'd say like 80% of the prep is like the context and the studying it in the Greek and the Hebrew and like preparing it and thinking about your people and like, you know, all that normal stuff. Um, but then the last, always the last couple of days, if not the last week before I give us talk, I'm like listening and I'm like, what do you want to say today to these people? I could give the same talk two months from now, but you have something you're saying today to this people. And I'm always looking for that, like the nugget or that like Holy Spirit fire or what is that like? Or a lot of times I think about it as like the point of the spear. Like what is the spirit trying to speak like to this people this day? And um, and that's not something that I can just like derive. That's something that the Holy Spirit has to like highlight a particular verse or word or give me an illustration or just sort of help me in some way. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 138. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and thanks for listening. Guys, we are 138. We've made it to 138 episodes, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Susie Silk from Church of the City, New York. Uh, in this conversation, we just speak about the, the Holy Spirit's role in sermon preparation and delivery and application. Like, how does God the Spirit guide and inform and confirm His truth? in the weeks and the days and even the moments leading up to the proclamation of the word. So uh, Susie and I speak about this and many other conversations in a very enjoyable uh, discussion that I was pleased to have and I'm really excited to share with the rest of you. Um, Right before the actual um, interview is gonna be played, Let me just remind you about our third uh, Expositors Collective online webinar. It's taking place uh, December 5th, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, we've got a special guest, uh, Thomas Terry, from the Trinity Church in Portland. So it's going to be a half-hour teaching followed by a half-hour of Q&A. We are going to record that and broadcast it as a later episode, but if you want to get there and hear it live and have your question answered, then you got to register. So go to expositorscollective.com. There's a link there to bring you to the Eventbrite page. So do yourself a favor and register for the third webinar, which is taking place on the 5th of December, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Okay, now I'm going to get out of your way and let you hear the interview uh, with Susie herself. At the end, I'm going to chime in with uh, some closing thoughts, and also we're going to have a preview of episode 139, which is a discussion with David Guzik from EnduringWord.com. All right, I hope this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I am uh, speaking with uh, uh, Susie Silk, and I'm really excited to talk to her about um, what she's learning, what she's teaching, and uh, what God's at work in her life. Um, So good morning, Susie. How are you? Good. (laughs) It's good to connect with you, Mike. Yeah, really, really, really glad to be here. So oftentimes the very first question that I ask people, and it kind of helps to even let people in on their story is, um, can you tell us about the first time you ever taught the Bible in in public? Yes. So um, I'll I'll actually talk about the first time I preached a sermon because I don't remember the first time I taught the Bible in public. It was probably when I was really little as a kid um, because I was pretty comfortable leading Bible studies. I used to like you know, lead worship up front, um, like from when I was really young. So, um, but I can, I distinctly remember the first time I preached, which definitely felt different, right? It has a sort of maybe different level of authority and it's a larger audience and it's on a microphone. Um, and that was about 12 years ago, 12 years ago. No. Yeah. 12 years ago. And, um, I gave my first Sunday uh, sermon on Palm Sunday and, uh, it was here in in New York city, um, with the church that John Tyson and I, John Tyson was leading and I was a part of. And uh, my first sermon, I gave it three times in three locations. So it was like, here you go. <laughs> You're yeah, in the yeah. sermon rotation <laughs> on Palm Sunday. 
Uh, and the reason that I gave it was about eight months earlier, I had woken up from a very distinct dream in which I felt like an entire sermon had been put in my mind. Hmm. And at the time, I didn't think it was for me. I, I thought, okay, I'll pray over this and see if this is something that I should tell my lead pastor, Pastor John Tyson. And so, you know, a few months went by and I told him, hey, I really think this is a sermon that the Lord wants you to preach. And he said, well, why don't you preach it? And then that started the conversation of, oh, I guess I'm going to go preach Mm. a sermon, Um, which also involved lots of other conversations because at the time we hadn't had a woman uh, preach at the pulpit before. Um, But we also had really, John was the one who did most of the preaching and, you know, we'd only had a few guest speakers. So anyways, that was the first sermon I gave was Palm Sunday back when I was single, 25, almost 25 years old. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, but but in terms of speaking up front, like speaking to people about the Bible, I've been doing that uh, when I was a worked for a Christian nonprofit, had led Bible studies, you know. So that that felt comfortable to me. Teaching in like a Bible study or like a Sunday school setting was was easy, but but preaching was a new thing. Okay, so so public speaking and biblical education that you've been doing that for a long time. Yep. Okay. Um. So the 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 sermon was it um was it based on you know. Jesus entering Jerusalem on a cult? Was it anything to do with traditional Palm Sunday or was it something unique? I shouldn't say unique. They're all unique, but was it something unrelated to the holiday? No, it was, um, it was about the holiday. It was about that text of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Um, but the part that, well, there was a couple pieces that I felt like were important in the sermon. And, um, now that I look back on it, it makes sense that, uh, I would be the one to give that sermon, but, um, you know, just helping people to understand the history of the Jewish holiday of Sukkot and how that factors into understanding the palm branches and the entrance of Jesus as a king, um, the Zechariah text. But then I had had this, like, um, I think it was a, like a Holy Spirit prophetic kind of like nugget to the sermon yeah. that I felt like was so important, which was this idea that um, when the people were laying down their their clothes, but more specifically when they were laying down their palm branches, and when you understand it in context of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus taking on flesh and John 1 of like, he came and he dwelt, he tabernacled among us. So like flesh being like these sukkahs, these tents, um, I felt like the invitation for the congregation was about laying down our lives. Like people laid palm branches, but mm. our response is like, in some ways, our bodies are the palm branches. And we're supposed to like lay down our lives to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And so that's where that like nugget of the sermon was that I felt like needed to be communicated to the people um, in the context of understanding the, like what was happening at the time and what's the Jewish imagery behind it and what to tell people. And so um, that was the first sermon I gave. Wow. Well, two Sundays ago, I I preached on Jesus entering Jerusalem, John chapter 12. I've been working through it. (laughs) Um, Did not have that nugget though. So... Too bad I can't go back and do it again. But you had whatever the people needed, right? You, you had <laughs> yeah. what the Spirit told you to teach. So <laughs> yeah, here's here's hoping. Well, I mean, I can 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 I ask maybe to divert from my little yeah. script here? Um, so that was the very first time um, that I guess you you would say you preached a sermon. But is that the first time that in a dream uh, a sermon outline was given to you, or in a dream that there was that nugget that was given? Yeah. Um, I think it's probably been maybe one of the only times that that's happened in a dream. Like since then, um, you know, so I was thinking about one of the questions you had asked in your email or, you know, that we were going to talk about, which is like, where does prayer fit in in sermon prep? Yeah. And I think that that first experience with preaching a sermon and having a sense of like a prophetic spoken word, Mm -hmm. um, has shaped so much of then how I've seen preaching because, um, you know, like, like from a teaching perspective, like my number one spiritual gift is teaching. Like I had said, I've taught in a lot of different environments and I yeah. even teach in an academic setting now. And for me, teaching is always feels slightly dis- distinct from preaching. Um, and I think that's because there's a, in the preaching world, for me, there's an element of the prophetic of like yeah. the, what does God want to say to the people today? That's very different than like when you write a commentary that people could read at any time and anyone could, you know, access it. So, um, so yeah, that word in a dream really shaped me. And so now whenever I preach, I think I'm always looking for, um, 
you know, like you'd say like 80% of the prep is like the context and the yeah. studying it in the Greek and the Hebrew and like preparing it and thinking about your people and like, you know, all that normal stuff. Um, but then the last, always the last couple of days, if not the last week before I give us talk, I'm like listening and I'm like, what do you want to say today to these people? I could give the same talk two months from now, but hmm. you have something you're saying today to this people. And I'm always looking for that, like the nugget or that like Holy Spirit fire or what is that like? Or a lot of times I think about it as like the point of the spear. Like mm. what is the spirit trying to speak like to this people this day? And um, and that's not something that I can just like derive. That's something that the Holy Spirit has to like highlight a particular verse or word or give me an illustration or just sort of help me in some way. So now, um, yeah, I don't think it's normally through a dream. I think the dream was because the Lord is doing a new thing. He was like trying okay. to have me preach and also our church like there was no place at that point for me to have even like be mentored into that like there was no pathway for that this is a new thing so I think it coming as a dream like made it very real to me and the need to tell it and then obviously I didn't think it was for me at the first and you know in the beginning but it, that just sort of created this I think um impetus to consider the question of maybe I should start preaching and then once I had given my first sermon there was like confirmation um, from the people, from leadership that I should keep doing this. Okay. Well, yeah, well, thanks for yeah letting us in on that story. And so the initial, there was, the, you would say more kind of a, is it an Acts chapter two type, um, you know, you know, dream that's granted, right. but you're still hoping for and counting on these like mm-hmm. spiritual encounters um, on the regularly scheduled ones. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. Now, what if it doesn't happen? What if uh, all you have is your 80% academic and the 20% doesn't, doesn't show up in time? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, and I, I do wrestle with that because I don't, I don't actually think that's ever fully happened, but there are times that I'm not confident in the word, like in the, in the thing or, um, so then, then there are times where like a couple of days beforehand, I'm like, okay, I got to just structure the talk. Like I don't, I've got to just do the work yeah. of like, you know, like structuring the talk and laying out my examples and putting in those one or two things. I think like, maybe this is helpful. Like I, you know, I don't know, but I just, this thing keeps coming back to mind, you know, or sometimes I'll think like, I'll think it's fascinating, but I'm not confident that it's, it's not just like, I think it's really fun right. and great. Right, right. Um, and so, and then that's where like, you know, people praying over me is important. Um, you know, and then also there was a lot I learned, I think, from having to preach the same sermon multiple times. Cause in most environments that I've preached over the last, um, 12 years, I've given the same sermon more than once in the same day. And I think that increased my confidence and my ability to hear from the spirit. Because if the first sermon I gave, like, when I got people's feedback afterwards, if some of the things they were saying was actually the thing I wasn't quite sure about and it hit, you know, or I can see it, you know, or in the moment, that's the other thing in the moment when I'm preaching, sometimes like the rest of it will come. It's like the illustration will finally make sense in my head. That that's actually my favorite uh, is, is to experience both in preaching and in evangelism, the spirit moving through you. Hmm. Um, I remember years ago when I was an overseas missionary, I would, um, people would ask me questions about the gospel and I felt like the Holy spirit just would grab stuff from the back of my brain and bring it to the front and speak it through me. And I would be like, I guess I knew that, but I would have never thought of that. And as I was speaking, I was learning (laughs) the information. (laughs) So, um, which has happened to me a lot in evangelism. So I think that like that experience sort of happening in preaching is helpful. Like, it's like, I walk in and I'm like, Holy spirit, if you don't show up, like if you don't actually like if you're, you know, he's the one that drives things into the heart that separates between this, you know, bone and marrow. Like he's the one who does that. And like, I can do the work of trying to repair as much as I can, but he has to speak to the people. And I think, um, and I, th- I think that's actually a beautiful thing to like be in this place of sometimes I'm like super confident, like this is the direction we're going. And other times I'm like walking by faith that what I think I've prepped and I think I've heard is what he's trying to go with. And it's, mm-hmm. it's when it's actually delivered that you see the fruit that you see the spirit move. Right. I mean, that's, that's the spiritual gifts. It's the, the spirit moving through you for the people. Um, so yeah, there's an act of faith in it. And my husband's been super helpful about reminding me that ev- almost every single Sunday I doubt myself. 
<laughs> he's like, see, you didn't know if it would work and it worked again. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's certainly, so. yeah, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of share that uh, nervousness, you know, because it's the, it's the idea of like, you know, if, if this doesn't, this is sound so pragmatic, but like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to look right. stupid. Um, oh yeah. Well, and there's, I, it's a, it's, I'm, I'm losing the, I can't think of the exact um, quote from Tozer, but he said something along the lines of like, you know, if the Holy Spirit were to be removed from churches, most of the churches would act the exact same as they always have. And nobody would ever notice his, yeah, his him missing. So it's a matter of almost intentionally factoring in, you know, we actually are going to depend on him to do something. And if he doesn't, well then, you know, we'll look, we'll be silly, we'll look silly, we'll be embarrassed, but we need right. him. Right. And I think, I think like what you were saying too, like, um, and this is why I say the preaching versus teaching element, because I think like whenever the scriptures are taught, right, God's word does not return void. And I tell that verse to myself all Hmm. the time, Hmm. right? I tell that verse to myself because sometimes I walk into a sermon and I, and I'm not confident that I can deliver like through listening to the spirit, the prophetic like peace right? That does something slightly, that does something like further or farther or different, right? That, that cuts to people's hearts, right? But I know like if I'm walking with the Lord and I'm like faithfully spending time in his word that I can teach, right? That I can like at least read scripture. And I think that's part of why for me, like having, <clears throat> I'm sort of, I sort of probably err too far on this, but I like saturate my sermons with so much scripture, um, to the extent where sometimes it's actually like I've been told, well, this is not as accessible. If somebody doesn't know mm. where Jeremiah is and they can't jump to Lamentations and then into the book of Mark. And yeah. um, but I do that because um like my words are are worthless ultimately, like and and they're not lasting. And but the word of God is firm and steadfast and true and it lasts for forever. Yeah. And and so if I can get scripture spoken, then at least there's places like that, even if I'm not listening while well, the Holy Spirit's gonna use it. And the other thing is that, you know, and you've probably experienced this, is that like even if let's say that there's a word that primarily is for the congregation, there's always those like random things that you said in a sermon that somebody either hooks onto or is like for them. And oh my goodness, it's, you want that to be scripture. You want it to be like, oh, yeah, I heard yeah. this verse and I prayed it this morning. And that's the thing I want to walk into. And so um, I think that that helps with my um, my like doubt sometimes is like I can go back and say, this is built on scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking the words of God faithfully. Right. I've tried to listen the best that I can. I wasn't given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I'm going to walk in that. And, and, and I found that when I've done that, like even days when I'm exhausted or, you know, I, I've had to go through a bunch of fertility treatments. So I've literally given sermons when I have so many hormones in my body that I'm not trusting my own emotional like state in the moment of preaching. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, just give the word, Susie. Stick <laughs> to your fine, notes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> so. Wow. Well, yeah. Thanks again for letting us in on that. That's, that's, yeah. And as we were, yeah, even both agreeing on the necessity for like the, the, the spirit to do things, I think it's, yeah, thanks for kind of even fleshing it out too, that we're not just up there ad-libbing or waiting for him to, to move upon us in some special way right. that, yeah, that we do have notes that we stick to, you know, thoughtfully prepared, you know, biblically um, making sense of the, of the word of God and applying it. And then we're also just yeah, hoping for that extra powerful application, the tip of the spear. Um, that, right. that he comes and that he gives. Um, okay, wow. So that's your first time, I guess, teaching on a Sunday. And, and what a Sunday. Palm Sunday. <laughs> right. Um, um, yeah, so kind of my next question is like, how have you, how do you feel you've grown since then? What are the, the ways that you have improved as a Bible teacher since then? You've even mentioned like that you get feedback seemingly between services. Like what's that, what's that growth process look like for you for the past 12 years? Yeah. So I think there's a, a piece of the growth, which is like, um, just happens from experience, right. From like, okay, this is how to prep a sermon. Like these are the commentaries I go to. Um, this is how to listen to the Holy spirit in the days beforehand. These are maybe the trusted people that if I'm not sure, like I can run this idea by them, I can have them pray for it. Um, so I think like that's been really helpful. Um, and, I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting preaching, um, with the same person for a very long time. So I've 
been, you know, in John Tyson's like community and congregations for basically my whole adult life and began preaching with him. Although at different points in time, as we started different church locations, there was times where I was preaching with a different pastor or whatever. But I think learning from other preachers has been helpful and not necessarily learning as in like I study and mimic their style, Mm -hmm. but I think learning like my voice versus their voice, but also like sitting under their teaching has also like shaped the way and changed some of the ways I think. Um, And so, you know, I think John Tyson is great about like reading a huge amount of authors and, you know, curating a bunch of different quotes and thoughts. And so that's helpful for me because I don't tend to approach preaching that way. I tend to be, um, I'm getting my doctorate in Hebrew literature and like working towards like sort of that sort of like level of minutia around the text. Yeah. You have a focused view. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's helpful to have like this balance, um, to be reminded of like bring in other quotes, bring in other illustrations. Um, you know, I spent a a little period of time around somebody who was like super shepherding and pastoral. Mm -hmm. And when I was in that section of our congregation, I also was in a community that was, um, much more open to altar calls, the charismatic, a prophetic word. Um, and that taught me to like do responses differently. So I think, um, that's been a lot of my journey is sort of like different experiences and learning from that and then taking that and and using it when it is appropriate for the sermon that I'm teaching on. And then of course I spent a lot of time in academia. So that's been helpful, you know, getting my master's and now working in my doctorate and teaching, um, and just like, you know, learning more of that um, background. And then in terms of feedback, yes, I've been lucky that most of the time I can get feedback immediately after the first sermon. Now in the virtual world, I don't get any feedback at all. But um, early on, it was really helpful to hear, I think for my own confidence, like, oh, Jesus did talk to you. (laughs) Like You did learn something. This made sense. It wasn't just in my brain. Um, So like that was helpful. And then also... um, you know, I think what got like listening to how God had used the sermon also helped me know when I would go sometimes into the next time preaching it, oh, this is exactly what the Lord is doing. So I can like really push this point more or spend more time on it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think like that's been the combination is like being around other preachers, hmm. spending time in an academic world and really studying the text, uh, getting feedback from the people and then just doing it a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Reps. Yeah, in in a interview that I did with with John Tyson earlier, he he uh, he mentioned he he just said flat out he's like he's like you know mate I'm not much of a teacher he's like that's what Susie is for you know and so he he emphasizes really the distinction so so you're able to to learn from him and yeah. and and learn alongside but yet he believes and you certainly affirm that you guys are very very different and yeah. we would almost like we would lose Susie's voice if she just tried to be like another version of John. And and yeah. that's a, a valuable and helpful thing. I'm glad that you have the confidence to be able to be very distinct in each of these lanes. Yeah, I think it was actually a gift of being a different gender pretty early on because um, when I, shortly after I entered the preaching rotation, we had other pastors who entered in, they were all men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think like, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things, but I, I think a lot of times like we try to emulate the person that we like respect and admire and we sure. can often end up, turning that into trying to become like, like them and have their same voice. And, um, I was freed from that because he was a, he was a married man and I was a single woman and like, it just wasn't going to be the same. Like, and, um, and I think that was such a gift because I, because, because both of us recognized very early on, I had to have my own voice and, um, and the congregation responded differently. I remember one of the pieces of feedback I got from my first sermon was one of the women in our church. She was married to staff member. She was a leader. She was she had, um, she was like, yeah, I had a really hard day. I just dropped my kids off at kids ministry. I walked in the room and your, the tone of your voice released everything in me. And I thought, that's really interesting because, I mean, literally, my voice is a different, like, <laughs> it's higher <laughs> than John's, right? <laughs> yeah. But it was such like a, oh, like, it was such a word that I kept with me, which is like, God has given me my own voice and I need to use that. And if I don't, if I'm not a steward of the, of how God's made me, then I'm, I'm actually trying to be somebody else. And, um, and so, yeah, after lots of years, I think it's a really a gift that John and I just get to each be ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And you, you also mentioned that there was like a circle of trusted friends that like you would like go to for, for prayer. This may be going back to one question, but connecting with yeah. this as well too. So yeah. you, you, 
would you be bringing these issues or even just an outline or what, what kind of things you bring to them in looking for them to, to be praying for over or with? Yeah. So, um, when I was starting, I feel like I would bring almost like an entire sermon. We, we did have a practice for a little, little while where all of us who were preaching at different locations on the same topic would all share our notes with each other, um, beforehand. But, but yeah, what I'm really talking about is like having people in my life that if I'm thinking about an idea or if I think something's for the community, um, that I just sort of like practice run part of it with them Uh or, um, share this idea with them or say like, is this a crazy interpretation? Um, and yeah, I still do that. And I have people in my life who hold me accountable, who like know when I'm going to preach and who pray for me. Um, obviously the like right before I give the sermon, there's the prayer team and they usually have the preaching text ahead of time. And sometimes they'll even give us like, Hey, we were praying and one of us had a prophetic word in the pre-service prayer time. Um, and that's helpful, you know, like whether that's because it's a sermon or the MC is supposed Mm -hmm. to give that. But, um, and my husband has, um, discernment and also John's wife has really high discernment. So I think both of them, like, that's super helpful for me. Like there's a lot of times that I, um, especially early on, but still preach often when John's not there. Right. Like, but Christy is there (laughs) and Christy will tell me (laughs) after a sermon if I need to work on something. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and my husband, uh, normally gets a, like, I'll tell him some things beforehand. So, yeah. And, and so if, if there's the the prayer team beforehand and they have, let's say a a word, Mm -hmm. would you, just say, okay, let me find a spot to include this. Um, do you often like just, just go with it and work it in? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, there's definitely a parameter in the sense that they're usually getting, they're praying the teaching text in the uh-huh. pre-service prayer. So it's not uh-huh. necessarily like I had a dream, like this disconnected it's, yeah. um, but yes, I often, I like, I'll take that into account. Like, but mm-hmm. a, what's, what's really great is usually it's confirmation or it's usually pushing for a response that I wasn't sure I wanted to go toward, like for a response time or a call. And that's yeah. super helpful because it's like, oh, we were thinking this. And it's like, oh, well, that's already in the sermon. And I'm just going to spend a little more time on it. Hmm. Or, hey, we think people are struggling with this. So then when I go into the, this is why I say the MC sometimes does it, because depending on if the, is it the preacher who's calling people into prayer and response at the end of the service, we have something called lingering, hmm. um, where we have extended worship at the end of our service, or if it's the MC. But sometimes they'll say, like, our prayer team was praying this and had a sense that there are people struggling with X, Y, Z. If this is oh. you, come forward for prayer. Okay. So... And if it's related to the sermon, then maybe I would put it at the end of the sermon and and, and loop it in. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I I trust the work of the Holy Spirit. I know that He talks through multiple people. I know that with prophetic words, it's good to have two or three that sure. give confirmation. So yeah. it's like if it all filters through that normal thing, then I'm happy to bring that in. Hmm. Well, I, I love hearing that, and it's it's very it's very encouraging because a you are like not just academically minded, but like an actual academic. And okay. to have to have this like love for the, you know, Semitic languages and, and all this kind of stuff. And then also what, what sounds like and what I believe to be a real openness to like the the now of the Holy Spirit and him. It's it's this wonderful combination of, of word and spirit that I just am excited to see and, you know, long for just more and more of this in our contemporary church. So it's great. Thank it's you. really, really exciting stuff. <laughs> And, and I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I've, I've, um, visited, uh, New York a couple of times in the past couple of years. And, um, one day, uh, due to like some weird, um, British Airways, um, strike, my flight got moved a day early. Um, okay. so they, they couldn't do my day, but they bumped it over a day early. So I, I literally was in New York with nothing to do. Um, and just walking around, taking pictures, drinking coffee and, um, I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Doesn't church of the city have like a lunchtime prayer? And, nice. and I looked it up. Oh yeah, it's on today. Oh, okay. And then I found it on a map and it started in like 45 minutes and I was like a 44 minute walk away. So like, let's Perfect. do it. <laughs> and so I just like walked 44 minutes, um, got there right as it started and then went to the, you know, the, the prayer, the, the noonday prayer. And it was so good. And the, the guy that was leading it, just like had like this incredibly 
insightful, very deep um, word for me. And and it was just like, I was like, that is incredible. I, I wrote it down. I've, I've referenced it a few different times. It's been this thing that I've like kind of held and treasured. And um, so that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Church of the City. <laughs> yeah, um, that makes sense. But, but kind of wanting to hear more about like how, how that prayer culture, yeah, feeds into the, the preaching, which you've, you've let me in on, which has been really wonderful, but I really can, you know, for what it's worth, I give my thumbs up. I give my, I vouch for like the validity of what the Spirit's doing uh, in Church of the City. I really loved that, that prayer time. And you're a, a lucky woman to participate in such a thing <laughs> somewhat yeah. regularly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, we're so, I'm so grateful for our prayer ministry. I'm so grateful for uh, Emily Gay and Ashley Hebert, who spearhead that um, and maintain that and keep that going. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think it's affected us in a couple ways. Like I said, and you're really asking about the preaching, like how prayer is affected preaching. Well, yeah, okay. well I'd love to hear about everything, but okay. I mean, it's a, a preaching focused <laughs> podcast, so I have to. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, well, right. So I think one of the biggest shifts was um, a couple years ago, uh, and I'm sorry if I sometimes get the timeline wrong. We always joke in New York that one year feels like three to seven years. And especially <laughs> this year, it's felt like we lived through 10. So I'm like, not always great on my timeline right now. Yeah. But a few years ago, <laughs> um, we started this practice of lingering. So it was this idea that instead of just the sermon, you know, the sermon ends and maybe there's a response song that mm-hmm. involves communion um, when possible. We rent school, so we can't always like administer communion. Um, but we were like, we need more time for people to respond. And we were doing that in part because what we were seeing in our congregation at the time was really that intellectual New Yorker response, which is like, that was great information. Mm. And they would have a moment with like, I've heard from the spirit and I should sing in the song, but then the song would be over and then they would go back to their life, right? There okay. wasn't enough time. And uh, we also wanted to begin to cultivate this hunger for the presence of God, worship and prayer, extended time. And, and so we, so what we did was we created space that like the response song would end, we'd have an official benediction, but we would highly encourage people to stick around for lingering, oh. which would last another 20 to 30 minutes. And the first couple of times that we did it, there only a few people would stay, but that's mm-hmm. okay. You know, but over time it became normal until suddenly we didn't even call it. <laughs> we didn't release a benediction. We were just like, yeah, this absolutely. is what we do. We spend extra time in worship. And then one of the sad parts about the virtual world is that essentially we can't do that yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, like there's a culture already in our church of going to the prayer room, having worship and prayer nights and, and these sorts of things. But, um, but lingering was so important because it let the word that had been spoken in the sermon and the scripture actually take root and for people to come up and get extended prayer time. So I think a couple of things shifted because of that, because one, on the one hand, suddenly more people came up for prayer because it wasn't, they actually had time. We could build out our prayer team. We started training our prayer team more in discernment, the prophetic, you know, praying scripture over people. Um, and then for sermons, like, like I had said at one point in time before our current like makeup of our church, sure. uh, I was in a little bit more charismatic leaning section of our church. And, and it was in part because of the, um, socioeconomic demographic of the church. And also we had just, anyways, we just had a lot of like people who are sick and dealing with stuff and mental health issues and all this stuff. So people were really open to altar calls. And so when suddenly I was back preaching in the Upper East side, which is like, not, not like that much more like sure, sure. proper. Yeah. Um, I was missing the altar call. I was missing the opportunity to push in. And so I think when we've had lingering as an, as a thing that we've been able to do, like when we've been in person, it changes the sermon because it changes the end of the sermon. And it basically says, don't walk away. This is how you should pray. Like yeah. lean into it now, you know? And, um, and that's when God does the work, you know? And that's when we've seen, you know, every once in a while, we'll see ones where like a third of the congregation comes forward and is asking for prayer. Um, or, you know, I think right before we had shut, we were shut down for COVID, I gave the introductory sermon on our like sermon for our sermon series on sin. (laughs) It's like a very heavy topic, (laughs) but just the, the Lord did a work. And in our lingering time, you know, here we were on the Upper West Side, which is sort of proper and also has families and like, you know, um, and like half the congregation came forward. People were on their faces weeping. The whole prayer team, we had to like, 
it wasn't just the people who were scheduled, but anyone who'd ever served on the prayer team oh, yeah. had to like come forward and start yeah. praying with people. But it was like, that wouldn't have happened if we didn't create space in the service for like a, you know, like a place to respond. Um, so for me, that's how, that's the biggest way I think prayer and creating space has like shaped the ability to, to preach a sermon. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so it's not a matter, first off, so when you say altar call, people me- can mean different things oh, by that. Yeah. You don't mean like if you'd like to receive Christ as Savior, come come forward. But it sounds like what you're saying is we're, you're inviting people to come in to receive prayer for a certain focus. Is that is that? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I should clarify that. Right. It's not always an altar call, come to know Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Um, although that does happen, especially yeah. if the sermon's relevant. Yeah. Um, but it's primarily, yeah, come forward to respond um, like meaning come to the altar, come in, come deeper into the presence of God, Yeah. Um, you know, receive mm-hmm. ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. Well, yeah, excellent. So it's great to hear even like the, the role of prayer for you, the preacher beforehand, and then even also now to hear about the, the role of prayer for the, the, the congregation, for for those that heard the word. Now they get a chance to to be receive prayer, to offer up their own prayer. Yep, well, that's, that's exactly. excellent. Well, it's kind of like finally, um, and you've alluded to these throughout the, throughout our conversation already, but would you mind like talking us through like your preparation rhythm? Um, like you're not, you're not preaching weekly, are you? Um, so yeah, what does your like rhythm look like when you're either assigned a topic or when you have a Sunday on the schedule, what goes into preparation for your talk? Yeah. So that's a good point. I don't um, normally preach re- weekly. Sometimes I'll have to give back to back sermons, but that's not that normal. Um, so I get sort of a two week run, which is really nice. Um, there are times that I, it's like something happens and I get three days and I have to prep a sermon and give it in three days, but that's not the normal rhythm. Normally it's, I know it's coming by like two to three weeks out. I know what the topic is. So usually for me, the, the countdown clock starts two weeks out. Um, so two weeks beforehand, I start to think about the topic, read the topic, you know, read the, the scripture, um, verse, or if it's a topic, then I'm like going to pick, sort of figure out what is going to be my main text. Yeah. Um, yeah, I read the, the scripture probably like most people. Then I go to a couple commentaries. I actually don't read a ton of commentaries. Um, I usually turn first to a Bible dictionary, uh, Hebrew and the Greek and, um, and maybe like one or two like things on my shelf. So mm. I usually start with the text like really carefully um, before I move to commentaries. And um, yeah, if I could interrupt, I've, yeah. I've interviewed a lot of people. I've asked a lot of people that question and I found the smarter the person is, the, the sooner they go to, for Bible dictionaries. <laughs> that is true. That, <laughs> that's so, very true. Yeah. yeah so I've, I'm so like, I've, I've heard a lot of these like <laughs> rhythms and yeah, um, yeah the, the, the quickness to reach for Bible dictionaries usually shows how much education a person has. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. I, um, but yeah, I'm always going with the, the Greek, the Hebrew, uh, and the like Bible dictionaries and, and the concordances, right? Like Strong's, Brown, Driver's Briggs, um, et cetera. So, and a lot of those I have physically just because of when I started and we just didn't have access to a ton of stuff and I couldn't afford logos or anything. Um, so I have physical books that I like pull each time. Um, and then depending on where it is in the Bible, um, or then I'll pull some of my like standard, you know, um, whether that's a different translation whether that's a commentary um, in the old Testament, I have a bunch of stuff in terms of like different translations or the Jewish study Bible or things like that. So then I'm sort of moving to more of like a study Bible thing. Um, and then last is usually commentaries or other books that it makes me think of or other mm. authors like a tozer. If it was like, Oh, we're talking about the presence of God. Well, I need to pull my tozer off the bookshelf and find a helpful quote from that or things like that. Um, so yeah, that's usually what I'm doing. And I'm, and like I said earlier, um, because I start in the text and because I'm trying to really saturate the sermon with a lot of scripture, the vast majority of my quotations are other scriptures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So usually once I'm moving to a commentary, I'm only using it if I'm trying to solve a puzzle in the text okay. or okay. I'm trying to connect two texts or if maybe I want like a quote that's going to say it faster than me <laughs> or, or better than me and yeah. <laughs> explaining something. Um, so that's my, oh, and then the last, like I said, once the 80% is done, like all the context, you know, since then I'm spending the last couple of days, especially just listening. 
Hmm. And that's, that all has to do with like where, where it goes, where do we cut off the fat, what things don't need to be said. Cause you probably know this, like sometimes you study and you're like, this is really fascinating. And then you're like, that has nothing to do with my sermon. (laughs) Yeah. Or this is fascinating to me and me alone. Right. Exactly. And people like me, but most people aren't. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And um, you've 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 mentioned, and we agree, you know, when 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 John preaches, that guy has quotes for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Do you? And, and you're fine with not having that. But um, do you ever like ask him, "Hey, I need a quote on longing, or I need a quote on formation, or yeah. how does how, what's the interplay?" I'm I'm just interested in, in that. Yeah, sometimes I ask him for quotes. Um, we did a thing for a while where we shared. I I had access to his Kindle and his library, mm-hmm. and that was helpful because. Um, like I said, I do still want to have a certain amount of other quotes and commentary in because I don't want it to be just built on me mm. or even just built on like research, but that's never presented to the people, right? Like, great, I could read five commentaries, but I want them to like learn with me. Um, so yeah, that's where it's helpful to have access to John's library and access to other things he's quoted or he's read before. Um, obviously, if there's, I think that's, uh, John and his sort of plethora of knowledge is, is really helpful for me in accessing new, like, uh, people I'm not familiar with. Sure. Um, but he finds our trusted people. Like that's always helpful for me. So like, I feel like Fleming Rutledge, um, she is a, uh, pastor in the city. She's been around for a long time. Like I was introduced to her through John referencing her a bunch of times. And I thought that's interesting. And he has a bunch of books by her. I need to start reading more of hers versus like, um, and, but then I think I do the same. Like I'm like, I'm like Heschel, bring in Heschel, like, which is a Jewish writer. Yeah, and yeah, and that's yeah. how John gets that. So, yeah. um, again, learning from each other. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, yeah. Well, Susie, thanks so much for taking us on this, like this journey that goes yeah, back sorry. to, uh, 12 years ago, um, up yeah. and up until, up until right now. Um, we were talking a little bit, um, before we hit record, but is there kind of like a, like a, a New York update, like how could we be praying for for you people in New York and the, the work of Church of the City, and um, how could we be, be encouraging you guys in prayer or, or bringing your knees before the Lord in prayer? Yes, um, of course, like everybody else, I think, you know, prayer around COVID um, and how that impacts the church um, and how that, you know, impacts so many churches in New York City. Um, so that's obviously one prayer request. And I think my second one that's especially like time-focused mm-hmm. is, or specific is, um, just, I think that at, at, as we near the end of 2020, that people who don't know Jesus are obviously wrestling with a lot of questions. And one of the things that we've been, and I've been encouraging our congregation in the direction of is like how to be more bold in our proclamation, um, of the gospel. And at the same time, obviously there's social distancing measures and there's all these yeah. things that kind of make it tricky. Um, but I'm really praying that Advent will be a season when we'll see a large spiritual harvest, or at least then we'll see our, uh, we'll see Christians in New York City being bold about the gospel and plant and you know scattering seeds. And because even as um, I have the privilege in our church to lead our baptism class, and we'll be baptizing like 12 people in a couple weeks from now, and it's really been interesting hearing their stories because you know a number of them have taken this step to really identify Jesus as Lord in their life because of COVID. Because they were like, I was socially isolated and I've been told I should pray and I kind of believed in Jesus. I was listening to the podcast, but I thought I should just do this. And that's why they have confidence that Jesus is Lord now is because they spent time in the secret place. And so um, that's that's my prayer. And especially even with the elections coming up uh, in the U.S., that that the response will not be people walking away from the Lord, but actually that there will be openness to the gospel and that as Christians we'll be bold to share it because 2020 could be a great year of harvest. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's always what the Lord is doing. He's always bringing people to himself. So like, why would we think that this year is any different? Wow. So, yeah, well, thank you very much. And, um, Thank you for sharing not only like your 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 tactics or your techniques, but really you've been yeah sharing your life in this conversation. So thank you very much. And um, yeah, well, um, would would you mind praying? I asked you for prayer requests, and then now I'm going to ask you. Would, would that be okay? Yes. Is there anything specific you want me to pray about? Uh, you know, just that um, that those of us that are listening on this conversation, um, many of whom are teaching and preaching, um, are new to teaching and preaching, or want to improve. Um, can really lean into the Spirit's guidance and leading 
Um, I think we have a, a brainier listening demographic, and that's, mm-hmm. that's wonderful, um, and can just lean more fully into um, openness to, to God, the Holy Spirit. And uh, yeah, if you could just close us out with that, I'd, I'd really appreciate yeah. that. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, that's great. I love praying. <laughs> um, Lord, I am so grateful for each and every man and woman that's listening to this right now. And first, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to us. Um, whatever it is that you want us to take from uh, this conversation, that we would take that with us. And whatever is just chaff, that it would blow away. That the enemy would have no room to speak lies or doubt or shame into our heart. But you, Holy Spirit, would just continue to speak your words of life into us. That you would uh, remind us that we are your children. That you call us by name. That you have written our names on a white stone that only we'll get to see. And so, Lord, I just speak that over my brothers and sisters, Lord. I I pray that you would use all the gifts and experiences that you've given them to actually speak your word with boldness, God, and confidence, Lord, that they would wield the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, with just just great deftness, Lord, not just in the sense of uh, maybe technique, Lord, but in the sense of just moving in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus, you... You gave your life so that the church would be beautiful. So, Lord, we just ask that you would use our gifts, our time, um, our energy to make your bride beautiful. And the times that we are going astray, that you would correct us, that you'd rebuke us, that you'd train us in righteousness. Lord, we don't want to be teachers who and preachers who lead others astray, but we want to lead people into your presence. And so, Holy Spirit, would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach us how to listen to your voice, how to just meditate upon the scriptures and how to make not only the Bible beautiful, but more importantly, Jesus, to show your beauty to our people. And so, God, we just, we offer everything that we are to you. We say that we want to give our bodies as living sacrifices. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, I really enjoyed being able to have that conversation and hopefully you enjoyed listening. But more than that, I hope that this sparks further uh, conversations and thoughts and more than anything else just obedience to God himself. You might know this or you might not but the Expositors Collective have not just a Facebook page but also a Facebook group and you are invited to that. Um, If you search and find um, Expositors Collective, uh, I think it's uh, text-focused, Christ-centered preachers, if you find that group and request to be added. Um, We have conversations that just go deeper into the content of each episode. Um, There's just, yeah, great ongoing discussion about the themes that are presented. And so if you'd like to talk about the ideas in this, well, please join us in the Facebook group. Also, once again, you're invited to the webinar, which is December 5th, Uh, Saturday morning, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can find the uh, registration details on our website or even on the show notes of this very episode. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to leave you with kind of a a preview of the episode that is coming next Tuesday, episode 139. And to like the diehard Expositors Collective podcast fans... You've already heard this one. This is episode 001, the very first episode of the podcast. Back when I had no idea where where this would go, um, I just had a conversation with uh, my friend Michael McCaleb and my friends, uh, my you know former mentor, my f- current mentor, uh, David Guzik. I've learned so much from him up close and also from afar. And this conversation, I I fear that it's gone under the radar because not many people knew about this podcast back when we first started it. So here is a little teaser, a little taste of what's in store for next Tuesday on the Expositors Collective Podcast. As I often say, I hope that this podcast and all that we do helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. 
All right, here's David Guzik. Have a great week. What do you believe that like young Bible teachers uh, need to know? Well, their needs in one sense are no different than the needs of any generation. Yeah. They need to have a real relationship with God. Uh, they need to have a gift and a calling by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they need the training, the repetition that comes, not only from good instruction, but there's something about just repetition that brings skill and wisdom and experience, obviously, Could you say in what again? we're doing. Uh, there's just something in, yes, <laughs> that's right, the first rule of, uh, of education is repetition, repetition, repetition. So uh, anyway, uh, so I, I think in one sense, you know, these things are constant throughout every generation of the church. It's a legacy from us to pass on from one generation to another, and it has been since the last 2,000 years. There is a difference, I think, a little bit in the social and technological environment of the present day that merits our attention. And it has a little bit to do with how people interact with one another in the modern age, which social media and internet and all of that has had a great effect on. And it also has to do with how people acquire and pursue information today. I believe personally that um, Google and the, and the whole environment around it has had a very significant effect on how a younger generation gathers and processes information. Right. Have, have you seen people Google or fact-checked you as you preach? Oh, well, I haven't noticed it, but I know they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I think preachers should understand, that you, you can't just throw out lame statistics off the cuff. There are people fact-checking you even as you speak. And yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's a good thing for us to remember. We, we should have always had that earnestness after getting things right. Yeah. Uh, now we're just sort of more accountable to that. Modern Bereans. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that the days of an authoritative pulpit... Uh, I don't want to say they're over, but the idea of like, oh, that that man is standing up there, therefore I trust him, um, or therefore he is the authority and he's right about everything. I think those are those are over. Well, yeah, people aren't aren't ready to give that to you automatically. Yeah, uh, there, there used to be much more of that tendency. But really, what I'm getting at, Mike, with the effect of Google and the way we gain and process information, for me, it more has to do with the way that I think in the modern age, a younger generation, perhaps. People know a, a little about a lot. Information is very easily gained, but it's not very deep. And there has to be a great emphasis and a very deliberate intent, I think, on the part of a younger generation to go deep because there's much less in the culture and the technology around them that would encourage them to go that way. 